It's Saturday, December 1st. I'm Chris Hill. Welcome to another bonus episode of Market Foolery. If you have just started listening to this show in the past eight to ten months, let me explain what this is. This is apropos of nothing. And just like the previous apropos of nothing bonus episodes that we've done in the past, this one is really long and it has nothing to do with investing. So, by all means, please skip this episode. We will be back on Monday with our usual business news and investing topics, but this is apropos of nothing. We taped this on Thursday afternoon. We had a lot of fun. It was me, Bill Barker from MFAM Funds, and our good friend and longtime fool, Bill Mann. We talked about a range of tangents, starting with a question that I wanted to ask them about James Bond. At some point, it struck me that among his talents, Bond is really good with driving things. <laughs> He's yeah. really good at driving things. This just just struck you now? No, it, it, but the variety of things that he drives. Mm. So it's like oh, a hang glider. <laughs> it's not just different cars. It's like it's military vehicles. It's uh, here's a backhoe that he, <laughs> he drives. A space shuttle. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, the space shuttle. And and I'm not. I'm not comparing myself to James Bond. Um, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. We got a new vehicle in July. I'm still figuring out things about this vehicle where it's like, oh, that's the button that does that. Thing. How do I turn on off the stupid back windshield wiper? Right. So, so Bond Bond gets in a vehicle. There's no looking around. There's not even the cursory when you rent a car. And you're sitting in the park, and it's like, oh. is everything okay? You've got your paperwork. Yeah, I'm good. I just need to. I just need to know where the emergency brake is. Right, exactly. And so my question is this: How much training does Bond and the other double O's? How much training do they go through before they get to that? Because we were talking the other day about origin stories, and it seems to me that the origin story for James Bond might actually be incredibly dull, yeah. because. There's doesn't there have to be years of classroom work of okay you're all in the training program not everyone's going to make it to a double O and of course the last the last thing you have to clear is two kills right it takes two confirmed kills to become a double O <laughs> so that's last that's last on your to do list before that before you graduate now for nobody move ahead on the syllabus right right not allowed to kill people because just for the next go. six months. We're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time working on vehicles. Next week is defensive step van day week. Right, right? has to be done. Don't skip ahead to killing people. Doesn't there? Ha- I mean, in all seriousness, doesn't there have to be a lot of time in the classroom with these agents to be like, all right, um, uh, let's talk about wiring. Um, not just how to hot wire a car. That's going to be next month. But let's talk about wiring in buildings. And and how to you know how to dis you know, I think you're recruiting from the, those that have a slightly misspent youth, aren't you? They probably I mean, for wire double O's. Well. Isn't yeah. that what you want? Well, M does say to him at one point, you know, uh, orphans always made the best recruits. Uh, she says that to him in Skyfall. So clearly, I'm not implying that orphans uh, are are particularly poorly behaved like you are. I, I'm just that's quoting what him. I heard you saying. We're taking a very dark turn here. Yeah, I, I was saying. <laughs> 
To all orphans out there. I'm quoting a a British military official played by Judy Dench. And I'm quoting you. (laughs) Quoting I'm saying that you don't need to go to the orphanage to get people who have misspent their youth. That's true. And uh, that's what I think you need to do. If somebody's got a couple of couple of marks on their, you know, on their youth record uh, that involve things like hot wiring a car, right? And because then you can just skip that part of the syllabus. Like, ah, you obviously know how to steal a vehicle. Chapter four for we, you. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna let you skip that course. How long do you think the training lasts? Because I'm thinking it's years. I'm thinking it's like almost college level of training. Before I bet like... you, I bet you that they actually ladder it pretty well, so they're able to build on top of general knowledge of vehicles, and they group them. So I think you're probably putting a little too much. I'm not but... saying I've driven too many tanks, but I am guessing that they are primarily the same. But that's just one piece of the oh, knowledge that you have to build. Then there's the okay. Here's how wiring and plumbing works in every type of building. Here's how airports are designed. Here's how. Then there's all the MacGyver stuff that they have to learn for. You know, that's a lot. Now you just you know use Google for most of that. Just look it up. (laughs) James Bond running around (laughs) watching a YouTube video on how to drive. How does it work? You know. And And by the way, he's not. He's not like Jack Bauer. Who, when it comes to that stuff, he's constantly on the. Who was the woman back at, at oh, the, the gosh, what was Chloe? Chloe? Chloe. Chloe. He's, Chloe. How do I? He's constantly on the, Chloe. I need you to figure out. And it's by like, the way, it, one of that's one of the great like comedic acting jobs. She wasn't doing comedy, but she's like a stand-up comedian. Oh yeah. Full stop. Um, Mar- Mary Jane is her name. Right. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's well, like then she's you shouldn't Swedish. try. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, she does not play. Comedy, although there's a little bit of a comic edge to the to the character and just the sharpness with which she uh, addresses right. Jack Bauer all the time. But I would never have guessed that her day job was stand-up comedian. Right. Which is, I, I, I don't know. How, I mean, it's a nice paycheck that she was drawing from 24. But uh, when she goes out on the road to hit the clubs, uh, do you suppose people just came up and asked her how to do stuff all the time? <laughs> Hey, you, you, you know, you look like you know a lot about a lot. <laughs> My laptop is acting. You know up. how to tap into the closed circuit cameras everywhere in Los Angeles. I was only acting. <laughs> oh no, no, no! I'm just asking. That's like I've heard. Uh, I've heard Bill Burr talk about that about um, getting cast on Breaking Bad, and how there was basically this subsection of the entertainment industry that. Was not fully aware that his day job is stand-up comedian <laughs> and a good one, and a, yes, and a phenomenal comedian. And uh, th- and then he would just get cast in these parts where it's just like, oh, we want you to play a cop. We're, like they're not comedic parts; they're yeah. just sort of like, oh, we need you to do this. And it's like, oh, all right. Uh, speaking of comedy, do you want to get to Otter's uh, Mount Rushmore? Yeah, for those, if there are any long-term listeners to the apropos, we've nothing burned out most series. of them. I think. Yeah, they're gone by now. Yeah. Uh, you and I have disclosed uh, those who we feel are on the, the Mount Rushmore, that is, the four most important comedic influences. Not necessarily the greatest comics, the ones that you would say are the best of all time, um, but the ones that influenced your... And and we got into this a little bit with Brokamp, where he's like, I don't want to do that. I want to say like I'm I'm funny or like it's. We're not claiming. We're not actually claiming that we are ourselves funny, but we attempt. 
uh, <laughs> sense of humor at times. And broke bro camp, however, that dude's funny. Yeah, that dude. dude's funny. Mac broke camp. Roger, know, Roger. But uh, the rest of us had these influences that, if they were had influenced us more, we would actually be funny right. today. So we turned to every, Bill Mann. Every bit of funniness. Can you guys join in the fun? All right, now and, remi and remind you, me of yours, William. Uh, mine were Bob Newhart and Monty Python, and who's not a guy. Uh, right, we we got into that, and um, there was another one, Letterman, named Letterman, and uh, Bill Cosby. Fair enough. Uh, I don't completely remember mine. That's okay. But, uh, I had Letterman. I had. I tried to. I tried to combine. Uh, Monty Python and Richard Pryor. Right, which was <laughs> a well-known mashup. Which was no. which was cheating. Um, I had Letterman on there. Um, I think I had Jerry Seinfeld on there. Yeah. Um, and I had my father on there simply because my not that he was a comedian, but that he he um, he loved comedy mm -hmm. and he loved music, and so he was a big influence in terms of. Try out as many types of music as possible. Yeah, and likewise, try out as many types of comedy as possible because you know comedy is comedy, and if something strikes you as funny, that's great. And so, that happened for stand-up comedians, and it also happened in movies. And so, yeah. I ended up you know watching a bunch, you know, learning through my father about the Marx Brothers. And by the way, those movies totally hold up. Oh, they absolutely. One last thing on the Marx Brothers before we get to Otter. The I don't know if there's anyone making movies today who is attempting as much comedy per minute as shows up in a Marx Brothers movie. Like the jokes oh, per yeah. minute, and not all of them land. Now that Robin Williams is dead, you mean? Yes, because he was because he was attempting a lot of jokes per minute. He yeah. had yeah. he he he's. He but had, that was stand up. I'm just saying, like in a movie, a movie, yeah, just the number of jokes per minute in a movie in a Marx Brothers airplane, movie. airplane maybe. Yeah, yeah, any, actually, yeah. Any, any of the Mel Brooks movies, but the, you know, not fewer of those. Yeah, I, th that's... I think Airplane is more jokes per minute than the Mel Brooks. Yeah, a, I think that's right. I think there's a little bit more plot, <laughs> particularly the later Mel Brooks movies, <laughs> where it's like, oh boy, that that wasn't funny. Yeah, <laughs> Men in Tights, not his best work. Um, all right, so yours? Okay, uh, so I am primarily uh, a fan of. Observational comedy. So I would say that most of my comedians fall into uh, in, into that genre. So Letterman is one. So I think he's completed the set. Is that all three of us? I believe. Yeah. 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 Louis C.K. is one. I mean, I think that once Louis C.K. started to make fun of himself as a human being and his foibles, he became tremendously funny. Um, Russell Peters. Do you know who Russell Peters is? Yes, I do. Yeah, he's a Canadian Indian guy. And he, Tim Hansen one time counted in a meeting how many different accents I did just naturally during the course of, of a meeting. And it is absolutely from Russell Peters. Russell Peters does the best accents of any comedian that I know. Like, you know, from around the world, you need a you know a Filipino man. He's got it. You need you know he's so uh, he is one who I don't think I've ever laughed harder at a at a stand up show than Russell Peters. And the last is Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers, who just you know who spent all of her time making fun of herself and making fun just 
biting, cutting, you know, comments about about other people. Worked really, really hard. Um, there's very little actually stand up. Uh, you know, she didn't do many, many recordings, but I think that Joan Rivers was absolutely on my Mount Rushmore. When you talk about her work, I remember seeing. Uh almost a card catalog that she had like she she was so meticulous with her material and she had her own organizational system for the jokes that That's she wrote right. yeah. and tracking them out and I was I was pleased to see that when she died she got what I consider to be the proper amount of tribute, yeah. because in her later years, you know, there was the the run, you know, she would do the runway shows and and I think that Particularly if you're a younger person, you, there was there would be no reason for you to know how groundbreaking she was. Yeah, she just um, seemed crabby. How, how yeah. good she was, mm-hmm. how hard she worked, uh, and all that sort of thing. Can we go back to Louis C.K. for a second? Yeah, because um, you mentioned Bill Cosby, and I I don't know about you guys, but like <laughs> like the Bill the Bill Cosby story, as we've talked about before. You're talking about post sweater. You're talking about the recent part of the Bill Cosby. Yeah, yeah. The, the Bill Cosby going to jail. The final yeah. chapter. The, the final, final chapter is among the more astonishing falls from grace uh, that I think we've ever seen. Yeah. Because it, there's there's not really a way to overstate um, what a father figure he was in the 1980s uh, and probably into the 90s, and so the fact easily that, into the 90s, yeah. yeah. And so the fact that he was doing these horrible things for so long was it was just sort of like you know, and and among my reactions is like, well, there there's a whole there's a whole amount of entertainment material that I kind of feel like personally I can never go back to again. Like, yeah. I don't I don't I don't know how to separate. The work that he did from the crimes that he committed, and so for me, it's like, well, I, I'm just going to toss any you know albums that I have or you know whatever. And and Louis C.K. Um, Far less surprised. <laughs> well, in the case of Louis C.K., I he I feel like he still has some work to do to sort of get back in the good graces of of the comedic yeah. public. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you about sort of his. He was the first comedian I remember watching and openly talking in a, in a very straightforward way about like uh, there are a lot of times when being a parent is terrible. Yeah, where it's just an awful experience, and it's just like, oh wow, yeah, he's he's, he's kind <laughs> my of right. four year old. Yeah, is being yeah yeah. Um, so uh, like he's someone that I I sort of hope you know figures out a way to. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's redeem himself, but like just sort of start working again in, yeah. in, in a way that is proper. Yeah, I agree. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, there's a and I had considered uh, Woody Allen and instead of yeah. Bill Cosby as a, an influence, and it's uh, yes, disappointing how many of them have uh, got things to answer for. Yeah. It uh, turns out that Woody Allen. I, I, I don't know how to state it in a better way. You no. know that it's. Some in Cosby's terms, it's uh, you know he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail, uh, yeah. which seems appropriate. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And when I was thinking about this, I I I thought about moving on from Louis C.K. and picking somebody else, and I'm sure Bill probably thought the same thing about yeah. about Cosby. But the reality is that when you think about what you think is funny, mm-hmm. that was groundbreaking. 
right? What oh, Louis yeah. C.K. was doing, you know, at the time that he went on to the Letterman show and started talking about people complaining about the internet, in, you know, in airplanes not working. Yeah. He's like, we're the worst people. Like that was. I mean that that was that was amazing because it was just it was so true and so biting and so you know it's something that everyone thinks but nobody says. Where did you first encounter Russell Peters? Because the first my first memory of Russell Peters is not him doing stand-up comedy. It's seeing him in a movie and just thinking that guy's who is that guy? Yeah, no. and then finding out afterwards, like, oh, he's a, he's a stand-up. Yeah, I have I I have friends who are who 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 are Indian who clued me into Russell Peters. Actually, the first time I ever saw him or heard him perform, I saw him at uh, you know at a comedy show in D.C. and it was it was it was it was it was simply it was simply amazing what he did. I. I First of all, I'm going to bring Dan in if he wants, because we asked uh, Dan to uh, participate with his Mount Rushmore because he's a he's a year or two younger than the rest of us. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a year or two, <laughs> a year or two. <laughs> and so he may have a very different group. That he's, I'm more interested in in By a year Dan's. Or two, you mean 15 to 20 years younger than Poe from the Teletubbies? That's one of my personal faves. Uh, okay, so top top of my list is probably Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. When I was uh, when I was in, I guess uh, middle school, end of middle school, high school is when Chappelle show was going on, and I watched that show religiously. That's one of my favorites. Uh, after that, probably Bill Hicks. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys remember Bill Hicks. Yes, uh, Bill Hicks. He was. Uh, I, th- I think he died when I was still in middle school, but got a hold of some of his tapes uh, back in the back in the day, and they were really really funny. And I love the uh, the the biting. Yeah. Uh, observations that he did. Uh, then Larry David uh, of Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld fame. He's, I mean, his his inner voice is my inner voice, and I, I've had a couple of Larry David moments or Curb Your Enthusiasm moments in my life, and I always like to think about those. Uh, and then probably last uh, would be Janine Garofalo. Really? Who, yeah. Who again? When I was oh, young. Wait. Oh, go on. Go on. Uh, I. You're still young to well, some of us. When I was younger, uh, she was kind of all over the place in movies and TV, and then she sort of uh, f- uh, fell off a while. But I saw her at South by Southwest a couple of years ago with Dylan Lewis in this like comedy showcase, and she was completely hilarious in a very like stream of com- conscious like had her notes up on stage with her, and was just like seeing what was working, and it was great. One of the best uh, comedy shows I've ever seen. So Larry David uh, dabbled in stand-up comedy, like just uh, early in his career. And the best story I heard about him was that there was a time when he uh, did something that it sounds like other comedians wish they had the guts to do, which was he walked up to a mic, looked at the audience, did not like the look of the audience, and just said, "I don't think so," and he walked <laughs> off. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mentioned a Curb Your Enthusiasm moment, and I want to bring out my favorite one of all time that ever happened to me. Uh, It was... Wait, was it here at this office? No, no, no. This was a a few years ago. So, I was at home. It was was nighttime. It was a weeknight, and I see flashing red lights outside. It's an ambulance is pulled up because one of my downstairs neighbors needed to go to the hospital for something. But while they were carting her off on the gurney, 
one of the EMTs like elbowed the mirror on my truck and just like like totally nailed it like knocked it out of whack or whatever and then he he's not pushing the gurney or anything he's just carrying his bag walking after the gurney then he stops he looks at my mirror and then just keeps walking without even trying <laughs> to set it right and I'm I was on the balcony watching this happen uh, and I didn't say anything because I was like well I'm not going to give the EMT crap about this but in my head I was like come on man just like just just pretend to try to fix it, please. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen video of you, like, like, just not rushing, not running red lights, but just getting in your car, following, you know, <laughs> going to the hospital, and just like talking to the attendant, like, yeah, uh, I just need to talk to one of the. Oh, are you related to the woman that we brought in on the? No, 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 no I'm her neighbor. Oh, she's she's okay. She's in surgery right now. Yeah, no, here's the thing. Uh, I've got, uh, I've just got this mirror that uh, <laughs> got knocked off, and, and I saw you do it. Um, we got a suggestion from one of the listeners, one of the longtime listeners uh, in Cardiff, over in the UK. Um, because we had mentioned we were going to be doing this episode, and uh, he threw out a question for us to kick around, which was, who would win in a fight, Han Solo or Indiana Jones? I'm just going to say right now, I think it's Indiana Jones. I think it's Jones, too. I mean, Han Solo has a spaceship Right, and a laser <laughs> But you guys can say Indiana Jones I if think, you want to. You, know, you got to set the conditions. Right. It's like Tiger v. Shark. You know, you got to. You can't just say, "Oh well, well is it know, on land?" land. <laughs> you can't just say, "Well, what if they're both in space? They're in a steel cage, aren't they? Or they're on a street somewhere? They're in a steel cage. No, they're both used to bars. It's a bar. Yeah, it's a bar fight. It's probably got to be a bar fight. Yeah, they've both and been in a few bars. What weapon? Uh, fists. See, that's the thing. If it's fists, fists, it's Jones. I mean, has Han Solo ever? No, he's a coward. Well, he's no. He's not a coward. What are you talking about personally? <laughs> it's, uh, he's handy with a blaster. Handy with a blaster. And he's. He, uh, you don't think he could have taken Greedo with fists? He no. Abs- you think Greedo is that? He could have taken Greedo with fists, but like Indiana Jones, if he could solve he something with a gun, he he, was... if he could solve it with one shot sure. instead of fighting the guy with the sword, you know, he'd just uh, shoot him. I Be think if it. it's look, if it's ten different, uh, if, if it's a decathlon of fighting, oh, events, and it's event ten fighting? different sets of fights, I'm going Jones. I say Jones wins on decision. He he wins six or more. Of those, and okay. like one is fist fight, one is sword, one is blaster fight, one is blaster, and you know Han Solo is probably going to win that. He's you know he's quick. But yeah, come on. Uh, yeah, Millennium Falcon versus motorcycle. That's going to be that's going to be Solo. Yeah, I I think it's it's a better fight. I think I'm not sure that I disagree that Indiana Jones wins it, but I think you're dismissing Han Solo pretty quickly. You know, For some reason, yeah. but probably because you hate Star Wars. <laughs> He's Star just, Wars. He can't get over the fact that it's, we're arguing about the same. You don't guy. follow Mark Hamill on Twitter. <laughs> what do you know? I mean, you guys are. I think you guys are like seriously counting out Han Solo's like bravery and his ability to get stuff done. Like the Battle of Endor, like he he leads that, and they can take out not, the shield. Can bear, we not like, bring up the Battle of Endor? <sighs> 
Okay, well, hey, he's, uh, sure. He's, he's got, he's got no, no. a bunch okay, of teddy so, bears so, on so his what side. Part, so what part of the Indiana Jones movies can we just sort of discount? The face then? melting? Um, no. He didn't do anything in Raiders of the Lost Ark. If he had no, not been in that movie, there would have been no difference to the plot whatsoever. The Nazis would have gotten the Ark, they would have opened it, and they would have all died. He didn't need to be in the movie. Well, but then he was there to pick up the Ark, wasn't he? And the United States got to take control of it and keep it forever, and that's, you know... I have to admit... And put top men on it. Put top men on studying that thing. Top men. Dan Boyd just blew my mind. It is actually the case that he was extraneous to the story of the no, movie. The, the Ark's just sitting there waiting for a, a you know, slightly smarter Nazi to pick it up. The <laughs> only thing he did in that film was he led the Nazis to the Ark. They were following the whole time, and then they, they got it, and then they died as a result of opening the Ark. N- had nothing to do with him. Also, how did he hitch a ride on that submarine? Wait a second. Don't those go underwater? He killed a lot of Nazis. Yeah. More, more than Han Solo was killed. And they still got the Ark, and they still got to open it. Don't know that we would have won the war if it weren't for Indiana Jones. How many Nazis were in Star Wars? There were stormtroopers. Were they Nazi stormtroopers? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Read the internet. Probably, probably somebody's probably got an opinion on that one somewhere. I mean, for a college professor, Indiana Jones kills a lot of people. That's right. Like he, he straight up murders a yeah. lot of people. Considering his day, was, his yeah, day job as uh, college you, you professor. Used to, I mean, the, you used to get in trouble in that at my college for murdering people. for murdering people. Yeah, yeah. I Even think most colleges, you're, you're going to get denied tenure if you're just. Here's the thing, the students love this guy. Uh, he appears to know a lot. He Student gets, writes on her eyebrows. Yeah, he or gets he gets yeah. antiquities for the museum. We yeah. raise his money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we can give him tenure though, because he, he he's murdered so <laughs> many people. Wait, wait, on campus? How do we know? No, yeah, not not as far as we know. Not as far as, far as we know. We, we've only seen small clips of his whole uh, life, you know. Yeah. So the the chapters in between, presumably, he a lot of mayhem was following. Man, I think that's probably true. Yeah. So what am I drinking here now? Uh, that's the uh, the Connemara whiskey that uh, Otter brought me from Ireland, and I've graciously decided to share with you. Yes. <laughs> Very gracious. I because think this that is, is uh, really good. I think uh, this whiskey. Have we started this one? Uh, this episode? Yeah. Yeah, we've oh. we've probably started. It <laughs> you never mentioned it. I just yeah. thought we were. No, I'm going to cut an intro are we, later. Uh, are we? Yeah, no, we've right. we've we've probably started. Are we sponsored? That's, that's too bad. <laughs> I would have would have tried a little harder. Are uh, we sponsored by MFAM? Uh, yes, this uh, not we, but the alcohol we're drinking is sponsored by uh, MFAM, which is uh, fine of many fine things besides alcohol. Is that promoted on MFAMFunds.com? You'd have to go there to find out, wouldn't you? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Would you like to spell that out again, MFAM yeah. funds? Um, Otter, you had uh, thrown out the concept of the smallest hill that you're willing to die on. Yes. Um, I like this, and here, here's what I'm going to propose. I'm going to propose that we, rather than debate them one by one, let's just go around the table, say what the smallest hill we're willing to die on, and then go from there. Okay, I may I may be a latecomer to this. I may have to like. You're gonna. Hear I really didn't gonna... come up with something I felt good about. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, you have hills that you're willing to die on. Pick one. They're all very large. No. <laughs> to me. All to right. me. Well, just go ahead. Fine. Fine. For, for he, he's gonna go for society's sake. Yeah. It yeah it drives me crazy when people say Appalachian. 
instead of Appalachian. I am willing to die on the hill that it's pronounced Appalachian. I'm. I'll agree that it's a small hill. I'm gonna. Thank you. I'll agree. I'll agree that you're the front runner for having found the smallest hill to die on. Uh, I, I, the smallest hill that I'm willing to die on is that The Godfather Part Three is a good movie. Oh. And yours? People who use the word literally incorrectly should be put to death. <laughs> put to death? <laughs> That's that's. That seems a bit... I just wanted to spice up the conversation a little bit. <laughs> um, all right, since you brought this up, wh- why why is this the hill that you're willing to die on? Appalachian versus <laughs> April versus. Now I can't even think of what the other one is. Appalachian. Appalachian. Yeah. See, Appalachian. You, you, you can't say it wrong. It's Appalachian. Okay. Yeah. Says who? Me. North Carolina, North Carolinians. Okay, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need more than just you as a. Sports. You don't need more than me. It's my not, hill. You're not from the. You are from the backwoods. Of, I was, uh, yeah, that's right. Wrong backwoods. I mean, different the, different mountain range. Doesn't the Appalachian Trail Oof. extend all no, the way up to Maine? Nope. The Appalachian Trail does. <laughs> <laughs> are you from? See, that, a lot of mountains where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, it, when I say the uh, Kata Hayden's, uh, <laughs> yes, Katan, um, not not in my town no. per se, but uh, yes, certainly plenty of mountains in Maine. I, I know, but like in your part of Maine, no, not really. No, not how, really. how far would you have to drive to get to a mountain? A Sixty-three mountain. hours. Have you been to Maine? There's nothing. <laughs> Imagine that there were a straight road from your house <laughs> to the to, to the mountain you wanted to go to. I in that say, case, I would say probably an hour or so, an hour to an hour and a half. Yeah. As the crow flies three miles. Why is it yeah. crows? What? As the crow flies? Yeah. No, but that's an especially straight flying bird. Perhaps. Isn't that the deal? The crows have the ability to, uh, to rec- f- recognize to human faces. Yeah, but that doesn't help as the crow flies. <laughs> no, they can if they can recognize human faces. Therefore, they can read maps. <laughs> Isn't that how that works? <laughs> That's just logic. So, was there something that happened in your life that, that or no, no? When you uh, let me put it this way, I know why his is people who misuse literally. It's because he went to Harvard and he's all right. stuck he's up smart. about English. Yes, exactly. But I'm just curious if there was just a thing that Here's happened. Here's the thing. When you grow up in North Carolina, everyone calls it Appalachian. It's not Appalachian State, it's Appalachian State. So when you leave the state of North Carolina and people are pronouncing your mountains, and you wrong, go out into the real world. Right, exactly. Exactly. You 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 leave the <laughs> you leave the 19th century. Whatever. You put some you, you put some shoes on. Oh my god. I apologize North Carolina. You're defending your territory so poorly at the moment. I said it was a small hill. What do you want from me? Yeah. All right. Um and yours? And mine, I think, I think that uh, you know it's the uh, misuse of, of literally it because it undermines what where you're actually going. When somebody says, you know, and this crazy thing happened, and my head literally exploded. What and if you say, said, wait a second? I'm pretty sure your head did not literally explode. If people and now you have in the- undermined what you wanted to say rather yeah. than using it correctly. You say, I just want to tell you, it takes literally six hours to drive there. You know, and the 
okay. Okay. That's, <laughs> I thought it was three, you know, like literally. No. Oh, I'm just exaggerating. See, I mean, that's it's when Can you it take it. figuratively six hours to get there? Yeah. Well, but no, t- I, and I think this is where you were going. But that, those people don't need to be put to death. <laughs> Well, th- but that's the thing. People misuse literally and figuratively, and it sounds like you are upset about one and not the other. Literally, uh, <laughs> it's hard to, to, to figuratively to misuse the word figuratively. Nobody does that. I don't know. Maybe at BU they did it, but you know, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe at BU. I got another question. Why okay. did they call them night owls? Aren't they just owls? Who well, they're them? not called day owls, Bill. Who's them? I was going to say, let's ask the bird expert. <laughs> owls are out at night. Right. But uh, doesn't that just make them owls? Night owls is... No, you don't call an owl a night owl. You call a person a night owl. Why don't you just call them an owl? I suppose you could. But that's not the, the colloquial expression. All right. I'm not willing to die on that hill, actually. Okay. I just thought I'd bring it up. I can't remember. What hill were you dying on? The Godfather. Can we let pa- you die there? The Godfather Part 3 is a good movie. People who rip it, it's like, no, it's not It's not a terrible movie. Well, it's not as I, good as the first two. So, so, what that movie showed is that you know all of unhappiness is unmet expectations. Because if it were just a movie called Dave, uh, you're like, wow, Dave was a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, actually, it's a sequel to the Godfather movies. Like, I had uh. no idea. <laughs> but you went into it thinking, like, this is going to, I mean, I've seen the first two. And they were amazing. Two, were of the, two of the four or five best movies ever made, according to some lists. I think and, they're you know, still filming one, the second one. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yes, it's the expectations that it was going to live up to those two and belong in their company. And I yeah I love uh, the other work that Sofia Coppola has done, but if you could recast that movie, I think without her in it, you would uh, it would get at least a half a star better. I think that's true. Yeah, no, she found her true calling behind the camera, not in front of it. Yeah, and writing, and writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that was that was the whole. Um, <laughs> that that was the f- I, I I think it was the first time uh, I started to clue into the fact. That when people in movies are referred to as having exhaustion, it doesn't actually mean exhaustion. Because that was the thing. Winona Ryder was cast to play Michael Corleone's daughter. And then she quickly left the set of the film with exhaustion. And so they were already filming. She must have been very tired. (laughs) Extremely tired. Yes, extremely tired. She needed to. Narcolepsy was just rampant (laughs) and uh, they couldn't get her to the set. So, yeah. Uh, All right. So here's my question because my belief is the only people who would listen to something like this or are still listening, which is an even smaller number of the people who started out, right? I mean, we're down into the. Four or five people. Yes, despite, including us. Despite, I quit people who are intrinsically interested in you, your show, and 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 want the deconstruction of, of stuff. So, along the lines of the Mount Rushmore, uh-huh. uh, which you've already done on the comedy, and then reiterated the whole thing again and talked about your dad for half an hour yet again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> must, must be this McCallum. Well, uh, <laughs> anyway, so I want the and if you need to think about this, okay, that's okay. That's but great I, radio. But I'm looking for the 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 uh, the music musicians or music acts that would make your Mount Rushmore in the situation where you're you're on a desert island, you're stuck there, and for whatever reason, you know, the only people that you're going to get to interact with 
uh, are, are like uh, the product manager for the the Oreos brands is there. And he keeps pitching you like like every day. The he Pringles wants to pitch guy. you like another good idea he has for another Oreos Wait, brand. Wait, is this there about are, music or is this about random? I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to describe the situation okay. that you have found yourself in. Okay. It's it strikes a, me it's an absurd situation. It strikes me as more likely than you suspect. There there's uh, some obnoxious Yankee fans. I think um, there's the guy who came up with the name Tronk, and there's. <laughs> Um, whoever your most despised sports talk radio guy is, and that's so that's your company for the rest of your life. So I'm on a tropical island, which I prefer to a desert island because tropical island means that I might get a little, you know, drink with an umbrella in it and that sort of. No, thing. it's a desert <laughs> island. <laughs> um, and so and I have you to, get you get this is not, the, you get the, you get the life catalog. Of you are not on musicians to keep you sane. And they've got to be, you know, people, and particularly people that that have you listen to now. You've listened to for a long time. You're not allowed to pretend like you are big into hip hop all of a sudden. Okay, you know, it's got to be like something that that tells us about you, and uh, and so and it's got to keep you sane because okay. these guys are not not the ones you want to hang out with. I don't. And they're 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 all guys. I think I speak. <laughs> I think I speak for the three or four people who are still listening when I say. You could have done a better job of setting this up. That was um, a five-minute. That was a five-minute, which essentially boils down to: you're stuck on a desert island with annoying people. You get four musicians or musical acts as a way to keep you sane. What are the four that you pick? Are you saving time by rephrasing the whole thing? I'm trying to sum up for the people who are like, "What in God's name?" <laughs> Just edit Rally. it out. Edit it out if no. it's so bad. Do you get their whole catalog? Yes. Were you listening? Did you stop listening when no, you got as bored as Chris I did? did? Well, <laughs> you're so good at asking that question. So you know, Chris. You know, Chris. Maybe you should you know pump the brakes a little bit on the criticism I, there. I, but you know, maybe maybe a little qualifiers would help us out. Though. Loves me a six minute question. That's all I gotta say. Exactly. You don't. I, you don't even have to answer this now if you can't. Um, I like the idea of getting the whole catalog, and I'm gonna pivot slightly. Um, and actually, I'm going to direct this to Dan because Dan knows more about music, and it, Dan's actually a musician. But um, I can't remember if, if you and I were talking about this the other day. But this this came up: the idea that musicians who have a long career invariably they've got some tunes that are way below quality to Correct. their best work. You know, Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder is a musical genius, but some of his Pop hits are as cheesy as they get. So I just called to say I love you. Yes. Ugh. Which which when he's doing a concert, I can't imagine anyone is like God. I That's a bathroom he, song. God, I hope he plays That's that. <laughs> um, Dan, how do you think about that idea? Like, to, to what extent do you punish musicians for their worst tunes? I don't think he can. Because you're still like Stevie Wonder is a great example, actually. Because Stevie Wonder is when he's his stuff is good, it's some of the greatest songs ever, ever made. And he's an incredible musician who plays a million instruments and he's blind, which blows my mind. Though there's a lot of people on the internet that say that he is not blind, which is patently also blows my mind. (laughs) One of the great internet's conspiracy theories. Some people just love to be wrong about stuff. Uh, No, I think that. There's a difference between like not making great songs and then uh, trading on your stardom. You know, there are definitely acts that go out there and hey, remember that song or the, that album I had years ago? Well, you like that. This isn't it, but I think you'll buy it anyways. Like that kind of that kind of stinks. Yeah. Uh, but 
you see less and less of that nowadays because there's not as many like multi-album deals that go out to uh, recording artists like there used to be. And you're really getting artists are only putting out music that they like to actually put out, that they want to, uh, which gets better and better as time goes on. But no, I don't. I really don't think you can hold it against people who don't make uh, smash hit after smash hit after smash hit. Well, because you don't have to put that stuff on while you're on this island. Right. Because you, know? you get the whole catalog. As right. You, as, and you don't have to listen to the whole catalog right. before you get to listen to the next thing you want to listen to again. I know for certain that one of the four is going to be Miles Davis. And even if the only album I got to bring with me was kind of blue, that would be fine. But I get I get the whole Miles Davis stuff. Miles Davis absolutely is on my list. I feel like the situation that I've set up here has already given you the blues, though. Like is no, but you're saying keep keep you sane. music that'll keep you sane. Music that'll sort of like. Kind of Blue is an album that just you put that on, and I, you can't be agitated when you're listening to that. That is that is among the most relaxing, chill collection of oh, songs interesting. ever. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's abs- Miles Davis is absolutely on my list. I don't know who the other three would be. I'd have to. I'd have to think more yeah, about it. Yeah, well, just get back to me by the end of the show. Okay. <laughs> it's not to me, it's to your listeners who right. want to identify they, and, and, and. You think that's and what so they want to know? They, they want to know something like, oh, I like that music too. I didn't know he was cool enough to like the music I like. That's that's. What, or if you're so, a longer, younger listener, you're like, who, who, who? is Miles Davis? You yeah. don't have young listeners, do no, you? No, I don't. <laughs> not really. We've, uh, got, we've got Dan. Not, not, not really. Um, do you have. No, I decided not to play this game. Oh. It's just because I I, is... I correctly assume that nobody cares about my uh, inner life. This is the this, is, this is your show. The people that are listening at this point of the show do care <laughs> deeply, yeah. especially after the six minute question. You got to give them better. The six than minute that. question. And these the, people yeah. literally do not care about my life. I mean, at least we could assume that the question took six minutes because you Let's were see. thinking of the answer while you were asking it. Yeah. Let's see, I'm just trying to think for Barker's sake. Who are the whitest artists I know? Well, I mean, the Yale Wiff- Whiffin Poops. <laughs> the Whiffin Poops. <laughs> their their yeah. catalog is absolutely on That's his right. list. That's right. They've recorded a lot of good music. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> <laughs> They probably have. They probably have. And it's all in tune. Yeah. You know, it's got interesting arrangements. And now a lot they, of major fifths. And now they've got a woman who's in the whiffing poops. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Are you not paying attention to do what the <laughs> heck are you guys talking about? The, the college most famous acapella group in American oh, history. God, acapella music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the corniest type of music possible. I, went with... I think I could come up with a hill Dan's willing to die on. Yeah, there, there you, go. you go. Acapella music is universally awful, and I, I will die on that. Gladly so, die on that. So hill. one definition of hell for Dan Boyd is all three Pitch Perfect movies playing in a loop in a room that he can't leave. Is that is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. Except it's Yale guys doing all the, <laughs> all the, all it's the roles instead of... But it's, but it's Yale dudes in tuxedos with tails. It's glee, but with tuxedos and tails and dudes. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? Were you asking a question a while ago? Was it any interest? Was it good? 
Here, I'm going to go with something. Uh, so, because <laughs> you you don't don't seem to have anything. No, but you know, reach for another bottle by all means. Remember that class. time Bill Barker had a stroke on the air? All right. So I had suggested at one point that we do a show that was really like small scale uh, name dropping, like names that we had come across. Uh, that did not in any way reflect that we travel in uh, interesting company, but that we have once once in a while bump up against somebody like that. Like and the, I was going to transition like Trump's we doctor when we were doing the uh, the comedy stuff. I was yep. going to transition at the time that I hired Chris Rock, sure, which I'm not going to tell because I prefer to just leave it out there and let people try to fill in how that could possibly be true, but move to. The next, and it is true, uh, the the time that I introduced you hired Chris Rock to do comedy, just so yes. people are clear. Yes, it wasn't <laughs> Chris Rock was a teenager and you hired him to mow your lawn. No, no. Because uh, when he was a teenager, he was crushing it in clothes. We were to, to try, <laughs> trying to de- I have decide between the Whiff and Poofs and, and you know Chris Rock, and yeah. I, I went with Chris Rock. Uh, the Whiff and Poofs were were available. Probably, yeah. yeah. For comedy night, I'm not so so sure, but yeah. that was what the the gig was. Um, you, you have a Chris Rock story, but uh, what I was going to transition to was the time that uh, uh, Chris and I uh, met Bob Woodward because my guinea pig died. <laughs> <laughs> Again, stories like we don't really hang out with him, uh, but. Frequently, when one of my guinea pigs dies, that's what Bob Bob Woodward's there. Bob Woodward enters the story. So, David Sedaris tells a couple of lovely stories involving his dentist, Dr. Pavlich, who was also my dentist growing up. Really? So, David Sedaris and I shared a dentist. The dentist, Dr. Pavlich. Okay. That's pretty low. That's (laughs) top. Bottom that, I guess. <laughs> it's a more esoteric name drop than David Sedaris' dentist. Yeah, exactly. Um, and by the way, David Sedaris for me is the when we talk about you know, well, what can clear this bar? David Sedaris has set the bar in terms of books that make me laugh out loud. Like oh. reading a mm. David Sedaris yeah. collection of essays. You know, have you f- played for your kids his uh, holiday? Um, monologue, uh, the Santa Land Diaries. Santa Land Diaries. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have. Wait, That's... is that kid appropriate? Uh, yes, yeah, it's on yes. PBS yeah, every year. It was, it was it's like, yeah, NPR plays it's it. It's like every a year. December twenty fourth every year. They they play it on all things. It's like in it's like in Boston on Thanksgiving Day when they play Alice's Restaurant. Yeah, I'm radio. just trying to think through. You know, as someone who uh, showed his. Nine-year-old, the movie Airplane, forgetting about the moment in which there was just giant boobies on the screen. I was just trying to remember if you know if there's like well, you're the not moment. allowed to say that yeah. on this podcast. We're, we're going to bleep that. Really? <laughs> no, I don't think we are. Nobody's listening at this point. Um, Is that? Yeah, no. That's that's um, that's that's like, and we're not going to name him, but the, like the time that one of our colleagues uh, arranged on the Motley Fool family ski trip, where he's like, hey. <laughs> We're going to take a bus from Full HQ. We're going to go. It's a family ski trip, and there are children on the bus. And he thought, you know what's a great family appropriate uh, movie, comedy for people to watch? Coming to America. Everyone loves Which has profanity and nudity in the first five minutes. In fact, all of the nudity is like in the first five minutes, if I recall. Yeah. And I do recall. Yeah. To that point, uh, so a long time ago, back in the Hidden Gems days, 
we had a little contest. Yeah. It was uh, five things about you, Bill Mann, that are true and five things that are not true. And I'm not going to say whether these are true or not, but one of them, we may have to give people, because <laughs> we, we'll, we could post this on... Uh, on the internet? On the internets. Where do you post these kinds of things? Uh, Twitter. Twitter? At MarketFoolery. Uh, I know not everyone is on Twitter, but that's... that's Or, you know what, we'll post it in the Facebook group, too. Yeah, and on not. Snapchat. For, yeah, and for. on MySpace. <laughs> We're going to do MySpace, Facebook, and Bebo. <laughs> do you remember the Bebo was I a do. thing? A thing that AOL paid, I don't know, $800 million oh, for? Uh, Almost hard to believe that AOL is now the plaything of Verizon. It, uh, it, yeah. One of those, one Sorry, of the, one I, of the I clues. I swore we weren't going to talk about business. One of the clues, which may or may not be true, is that you have received in your large pile of angry emails from readers over the years uh, messages from. Uh, Lenny Dykstra, Barbara Streisand, and Fred Savage. And I'm just going to say this is not true. But, but there, there are parts of it that are taken from true stories. Yes, yes. And I believe that all three of them have had interactions with the Motley Fool that were not particularly pleasant. I think Barbara Streisand told Tom Gardner that she didn't like our advertising. And this was this was like back in the nineties or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Lenny Dykstra, I actually heard from. You heard from Lenny Dykstra. Yeah. Was this before he went to jail? I which time? <laughs> That's fair. I mean, this was this was during the time at which Jim Cramer said that he was going to be one of the great ones, and I seem to recall something like one of the great what's was you know, and he didn't appreciate. You it. won that one. Yeah, I did. I did. When someone read that to him, he didn't like it very much. Poor guy. <laughs> really? We're going to feel bad for Lenny Dykstra? I don't I, think we do. I don't think we do. I don't think we do. Um, but you'll I, post that on your, your places. Sure. And yeah. if somebody can get it right, they, you know what they get. Uh, uh, it's something from MFAM Funds. I don't know if we've got any new swag. We no, we, you do have swag. You've, we do. Yeah, you you've got those swag. those uh, those. Uh, People can't tell what you're doing with your hand right now. Beer, beer, beer koozies, you know, the cold drink koozies. Oh, I cold think, drink I think koozies. We gave those away. Uh, uh, I, I think yeah. there's a big box of them. What about shop.fool.com? People can go to shop. Just email. What, what, can you pull something from the inventory there? I mean, if somebody somebody actually gets this, five right and five wrong. Email B Barker. Yeah, because I tell you, several hundred yeah. people couldn't get it right the first time around. That's right. Um, and uh, we'll we'll come up with something. We'll a cool up. hat. The hat. The company's got some hats, right? As we know, somewhere around here somewhere there are hats. Here. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, you got a prize. You can't walk down the street without us flinging a hat at you. <laughs> Roll uh, your windows up. Um, question from longtime listener and full member Tobin Anthony: Does Seinfeld deserve to be on the Mount Rushmore of comedy? Now, I I should have. Send a note back to Tobin saying, "Hey, do you mean like our respective? I, I think, I, I think he's not arguing with our individual. Like, oh, your influence is your influence. I think he's saying the Mount Rushmore, the Mount Rushmore of comedy, which is different. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know that that he's if up. it's an eight man Mount Rushmore. Well, are you, are, if you define it as sitcoms, right? That might be the fairest right. way. The right. Mount Rushmore of American sitcoms." Yes, I think that's on there. Yeah. Okay. And so you say yes. I, I as, yes, as, as opposed to Jerry Seinfeld, the stand-up comedian. Yes, Seinfeld, the, like the four Ooh. great sitcoms of all time. Dick Van Dyke Show. 
I I think it gets an honorable mention. I think Honeymooners probably uh, comes in from from that era or before the Dick Van Dyke show, but I think it's more influential. You think so? Honeymooners? I think so. I think uh, Lucille Ball is more. Uh, yes, also more influential. Yeah, I love yeah. Lucy. You know, probably. Yeah. I uh, mean, Dick Van Dyke show, great, loved it. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know that it's, its influence, other than introducing the world to Mary Tyler Moore, was thank you as, for thank you for that thank you for that yes. yeah was as great as some of these other ones we're mentioning. Uh, among the great books that David Halberstam has written is a book called The Fifties, and in that book he has a chapter on Lucille Ball and basically makes the case that she is partially, if not largely, responsible for keeping CBS as a television network from going bankrupt. Like The success of her show came at a time when, that, when CBS was in very dire straits. So, so and I, now, it's pretty much just Rudolph that's keeping it afloat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, we didn't finish up all that we could have said about uh, your next career, which is to uh, promote this Yukon Cornelius live action origin series on Netflix. I think it's a no brainer. I think if you, I think when you look at what is it, the CW, one of those networks said, you know what, we'll do, we'll do a live action modern day version of Archie from the comic yeah. books, and we'll make it sort of edgy and all that. It's like okay, if you're going to do that, then yes, an eight episode. Origin story of Yukon Cornelius. Now that's gritty. That's got some. Uh, that that has a body count. There are monsters. There, there are, are monsters. talking reindeer. Sure. There is Bumble, <laughs> is Bumble actually a kid who grew up down the street from him named Greg who went wrong? What? No, Bumble's a snow monster. What are you he is now. He no, is now. No, he's from the race of uh, uh, snow monsters. Yeah. He's a whom who uh, of which he is just one. Maybe the last one. We don't know. This is. Did you notice that they li- that that Bumble literally lives like a quarter mile away from the North Pole? Yeah. Like there hasn't been a body count like from they, before they, this. They found it. It's like what? What? <laughs> that's that's why this town that uh, Yukon Cornelius is in is so interesting. It's like Twin Peaks or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is weird stuff around every corner. Yeah. Also, kind of weird that uh, the reindeer talk, but none of the other animals really appear to talk at all. Well, they're not magic, are they? I guess not. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, that's true. When you put it that way, it makes perfect sense. Uh, so, who's? I was trying to think. Like the reindeer who, should speak Finnish, don't you? Who think? would kind of play this this Yukon Cornelius? And and the, I'll give an opening bit. Kurt Russell. What? No, it's a young Yukon Cornelius. It's a, a Kurt Russell type. Not a Disney Kurt Russell type, but like a okay, Escape the, from New York Kurt Russell type, Snake Plissken type. Okay, or is that too edgy for your Yukon so Cornelius? I, or are you you have a Pine. different vision? I'm going. Got, I, I'm going. A twenty-something actor is playing the young Yukon Cornelius, and I think he. Yeah, I think he needs to not be Snake Plissken. He ends up being. Snake Plissken. He ends up being Yukon Cornelius. And by the way, that's part of the origin story. Shocker, his first name isn't Yukon. <laughs> He's like Greg. He's like Greg Cornelius. And then He's he from ends, Chicago. He ends up doing something, and then he becomes Yukon Cornelius. But yeah, just something Maybe where, it's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Greg Maybe he, he's not the first Yukon Cornelius. No. 
No, that's crazy. Not in the show I'm pitching. No. <laughs> I've got a very specific vision well, for this. Well, your specific vision is not specific enough to tell us who would play this role in um, your mind. If he were younger, um, and not that he's old, but if he were younger, <laughs> Seth Rogen. I mean, Seth Rogen looks like he could walk into that role right now. He's big. He's, he's physically tall. He can grow a beard in about... 20 minutes. Oh, are those the requirements? Does I mean, he have to do any, any action? Has Seth yeah. Rogen ever done any action? Yeah, he was he was in the, uh, what, the Green Arrow? He was in an action movie. Mm-hmm. where he Was it the Green Arrow? Mm-hmm. Or the Green Hornet? The Green Hornet. That was it. <laughs> See, I caught you while you were, you were mid-whiskey. <laughs> Bill Mann's going to take a little break now while he uh, <laughs> deals with the fact that the whiskey went down the wrong part of his throat. So. First time? Smooth. <laughs> First time with the whiskey? Um... Yeah, so I think I think Seth Rogen. I mean, but that's where you have to have the hard conversation with Seth. You bring in Seth Rogen, you're like, "Look, Seth, you're our first choice for this role." But let's be honest, you're gonna have to hit the gym. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Michael B. Jordan, where it's like Michael B. Jordan's in good shape, but like to play Creed, you know, Adonis Creed, it's like "Mm, we're gonna need you to work out every day. You're gonna have you're gonna be on a diet that you're gonna hate six days a week. Could you you go? Could you go that way and like a. Donald Glover is Yukon Cornelius? Is he going to sing? He's not going to sing. I Maybe he sings. I, yeah, I, yeah. Donald right? Glover. How old is Donald Glover? Yes. Right. I put him on the list. Sure. Absolutely. That would be great. Look, man, I'm just trying to get this thing made. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're trying to get this thing made, then you're not really trying that hard if you're going to tell Seth Rogen that he's got to like lay off the weed and hit the gym every day. You're right. I mean, uh, that's just, you know what? Let's bring Seth I mean, in for a much, cameo. How much money are you willing to pay? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Seth may be Yukon Cornelius's older brother, Steve Cornelius, right? The dope smoker, Greg Cornelius. Greg Steve Cornelius. Cornelius. Greg is the one who's you know. He was the one, yeah, in the origin story that Yukon Cornelius saw the mistakes his brother made, not going to be like him. Can we go back to the Mount Rushmore of sitcoms for a second? Because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like we were halfway there. We've got I Love Lucy, yeah. and we've got Seinfeld. We just need two more. I'm tempted to put Cheers on that list, and I'm tempted to put All in the Family on that list. I think you're going to get more uh, popular. You're going to get more votes from the Hall of Fame committee who's been brought in to work on Mount Rushmore as well. Top, top men. I mean, they're they're in the Hall of Fame, right? Definitely. But Definitely. But I don't know that Cheers makes it onto Mount Rushmore. Okay. But I, I think All in the Family probably does. It, it's got a lot more support from the, the committee. It's You know, it's like uh, the Hall of Fame. They Everybody gets a vote, and nobody's ever gotten in unanimously, including Babe Ruth. Wait, didn't someone get in unanimously? Oh no, there was there was something recently where like someone, some baseball twit decided like, oh no, no. Oh, it was ja- get- Jacob Degrom in the NL Cy Young this this year. It was some, uh, some guy from dumb Boston. guy uh, <laughs> who said that because Jacob Degrom won nine games and lost ten, like he doesn't deserve the Cy Young because you know pitcher wins are a thing that should count in 2018. Right. Wasn't there also, though, a recent Hall of Fame edition in baseball where someone who was just like, it's like, oh, well, obviously this person's going to get in first ballot. And then there was like, I felt like there was one 
voter who just said, nope, I'm going to preserve the streak. Peter King? Babe Ruth didn't get unanimously, so therefore no one gets it. And this is why we can't have nice things. Yep. He made it in, though. Whoever it is we're talking about. Yes, whoever. Yeah, yeah. it was like Cal Ripken or something. Yeah, Um, it it, it probably was Cal Nobody's ever gotten, because it's it's sort of part of the tradition of baseball. God, that's dumb. That's just dumb. If I were a voter, I would not. I would not be that guy. I would. I absolutely would not be that guy. Could this be a smaller hill for you to die on? This is a pretty good hill, actually. That those people who didn't vote for Cal Ripken should be put to death. <laughs> Unlike you, I'm not. I just the stakes. The, t- the stakes for these small hills on should the be top high. of my. On the top They're of. They're small hills. The stakes <laughs> definitionally should not be that big. No, no. You're the origin to... of the phrase is that uh, it's a hill willing to it, die. It's on. a hill you're willing to die on. And, on the top and, of your very small hill is a gallows, and you're going to bring down your you, you know your unit with you in defending that hill. It doesn't matter what the uh, consequences are. I feel like I'm going to get more fights from people on the Godfather Part 3 than I'm going to get from people on the on the baseball thing cuz there are, there are fans like you who are just like, well, of course, that should absolutely be the way it is. Like you're you're totally fine with that. You're you you would be more than happy to be the guy who's like, I'm not voting. Cal I don't McKinnon. think these people should be put to death. No. <laughs> Why why are you why do you feel so strongly about this? You're willing to rewrite the murder laws would you, of would the you, state of Virginia. Would you at least, it's the Commonwealth of Virginia, please. Let's get that right. If he's going to die on the hill of Appalachia, I, I'm, I'm going to... You're dying I'm, on the Commonwealth I'm not going to die on it, but I'm going to remind I'm people... Gonna ma- I'm going to maim on it. We have four Commonwealths in this country, and Virginia is one of them. Wait, okay. Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Vermont? Oh, Virginia? so close. Massachusetts. 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 Whoa, that just that was a, that was a bigger pour than I was expecting. Chris Hill will not be driving for the next All week. All you have to do is walk home. <laughs> That's true. All I have to do is walk home. Maybe. Uh, what else you got on this list of things that we are maybe going to discuss? Um, you know, an, uh, another uh, listener submission: DC versus Marvel, and bourbon versus beer. Which I on the bourbon versus beer, and I say this as someone who does not drink beer. Why choose? Yeah, can't you have both? Particularly when you know shot in a beer boiler maker. Isn't a boiler maker a, a beer with a, a shot dropped in it? Yep. And it's a shot of whiskey. Shot of whiskey, as opposed to like a shot of Kahlua. Jip. Oh lord, <laughs> that's <laughs> really gross. What's 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 the worst drink you've ever had? Oh, that, that, and and it doesn't have to be this way, but. Typically, worse drinks are, uh, and it doesn't have to be a I drink. To it could just be the worst tasting thing you've had. But typically, it's a buddy of yours has like handed you something in a bar, like have this. It's called an ice hog. Ice hog. I'm gonna have to look up what it is, but it was. It tasted like malice. <laughs> it tasted like pencil shavings and sadness. It's very poetic. It is. <laughs> um, okay. So was it obviously I, worse tasting than Jägermeister? Obviously, wow! Um, I just did a very cursory search on the Google, and one of the first things I came up with uh, was a minor league team, the Rockford Ice Hogs. The Rockford Ice Hogs. Now you have to wonder: Do they have Ice Hog Night? Um, Dan Boyd, what about you? Uh, worst thing that, uh, in terms of alcohol, that you've consumed? Uh, worst tasting. 
Well, I mean, Jaeger, <laughs> Jaegermeister's up there, of course. But, uh, you know, these pop-up bars come into D.C. all the time, and they got to have, like, signature drinks, right? So I went to a Star Wars pop-up bar last winter, and, you know, they just were throwing stuff together to make these really terrible drinks. And I forget what it was called there, but it tasted like what I imagine uh, uh, Pledge to taste like. <laughs> lemon Pledge. Lemon Pledge. Yeah. Yeah. The lemon must have helped. Yeah, you? It didn't, but yeah, it was I, bad. I, I mean, Jägermeister is what comes most quickly to mind, unless yeah. you're talking about just having a straight shot of green. No, that's rough. You ever had Malort? What? Did you just make up a word? I did not. Malort is a is a Swedish I feel, alcohol. I feel like I, either I had that or you were I, responsible I for it. I wrote about it. I wrote about it. It's, it's, it's like the lutefisk of alcohol. It's the lutefisk of yeah. It is basically in the Chicago area. It's what bartenders buy for each other at the end of the night, and it tastes like sidewalk because there's always some left. Because there's always some <laughs> left. It's, the it's like what's left. I'm pretty sure Mallard. Um, you you mentioned lutefisk, which just reminded me after our last apropos of nothing. Episode which took place in I guess February when we it was Winter Olympics. Yep, you, me, and Matt Career. I'm assuming it came up because we got an email uh, from Dave Bernstein, self-identified as listener number 47. Uh, Dave Bernstein owes me money. <laughs> actually, no. This is not in reference to uh, different Dave. This, oh. this isn't in reference to the apropos of nothing. He just he just it included the word apropos. He said he wrote apropos of today's episode. Lutefisk is perhaps the most awful food known to man. It is fish cured in lye. <laughs> the wretched smell is only surpassed by its stomach-churning flavor. That said, maybe a candidate for a Norwegian Pringles flavor. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, yeah, on all parts. Well, and that's—I was talking to someone today uh, about Iceland. Mm-hmm. And just you know, Iceland. It seems like over the last few years, it's it's one of those places where people you got to go to Iceland. Yeah. And for me, that stops once people stop uh, start to talk about the food. Oh yeah. It's like oh, it's gorgeous, and it's so cheap to fly there, and it's like oh, yeah. and what do you do? Oh, you hike and great uh, restaurants. It's like oh my god, they're so expensive. There's a place that serves puffin. It's fish. <laughs> it's all, there's nothing but fish, and and most of it's terrible. Yeah. It's like. Oh, okay. I'm. You're not selling me on Iceland. My uncle went to Iceland one time on a salmon fishing trip, and his guide said, "Why don't you? You know, they killed it. You know, caught a bunch of salmon." And his guide said, "I'll smoke them and send them to you." And so, a couple weeks later, he received a huge box of salmon from Iceland. He's like, "It's the best stuff I've ever had," and he couldn't find anything like it. So he finally just called the guide up. He said, "I want to try to figure out." Where to get salmon that tastes like the salmon that you smoked? And the guy goes, "Oh, well, you probably won't find it in the U.S. because I use sheep crap for smoke to smoke it." And my uncle goes, "What? You didn't see any trees when you were here, did you?" Wow. What is it that you think we use? That's a good point. Not a whole lot of trees in Iceland. <laughs> so, do you want some more? My uncle's like, "Yep, I would." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would. So well, you've had you've had that. What you affectionately refer to as cat crap coffee. Yeah. Which is, is it, is it really the most expensive coffee in the world? As far as I know. Is it, it any was, good? It's unbelievable. Is it? It's unbelievable. Okay. But, There's no acidity. But is the second best coffee in the world 
something that wasn't I, digested the, by a cat. And then... it, was, it, was, it was digested by a guy named Gary. <laughs> Not to be confused. Gary Cornelius. <laughs> Cousin of Greg Cornelius. <laughs> it is it, it it really is that good. And they don't know why. Uh the they're the animals are called civets and they think that they just are have a very uh attuned taste buds. So they go and get the good stuff. Okay. Yeah. It feels like we can do some more science on that is and it? figure out a way <laughs> yeah. to make the coffee. Well, you know, oddly enough, all coffee like you you go to you you go to your fancy coffee places like hey this is you know this is the Nicaragua this is the Ethiopia it's all the same plant like there's there's literally there's like two different types of plants there's robusto and then there's arabica and the arabica is the same everywhere it's just the soil so I don't know the you know the difference between good coffee and crap coffee is very 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 little. Did I send you the article that uh, someone sent me about the the five times in world history that someone tried to outlaw coffee? You oh. did send it to me. I, I burned <laughs> it. Which, <laughs> and you literally did not read it. Uh, I, I burned my computer rather than reading it. Um, uh, one of the places is Sweden. Uh, this is a Mental Floss article. Uh, 1746. Uh, the government banned coffee and coffee paraphernalia, with uh, police confiscating cups and dishes. King, <laughs> I never thought of coffee having paraphernalia. This is this is the best part. King Gustav III even ordered convicted murderers to drink coffee while doctors monitored how long the cups of Joe took to kill them, which was great for the convicts and boring for the doctors. And and probably you know with the they're probably still alive. They probably are still alive with the growing mountain of evidence of how great coffee is for you. All right, I got a hypothetical. Okay, and. It's going to take enough time to give you that you're going to have time to think about those um, music acts that you need to add to your Mount Rushmore. If you liked Bill's first six minute question, <laughs> hey, can we get some food in uh, here? All right, so here it is. You got a you got a weekend. You only got a weekend to work on this. I've lined up the meetings with the uh, uh, executives, the TV executives, Netflix, uh, for you to meet with. You're only going to get to pitch one of these things. Okay, it's the Yukon Cornelius backstory. Uh huh. Or Inigo Montoya backstory, oh. and your family's livelihood. You have to feed your children off the results of your success on this one. I think as much as I love and have spent far too much time thinking about the Yukon origin story, you got to get on the. The yeah. Inigo Montoya. Yeah, I think your kids are going to be able to eat. Yeah, yeah I think, think they're going to go to college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Inigo Montoya backstory. Yeah, no, that's definitely. Yeah, I mean, he's there's told a lot. You, he's told you most of it. Yeah. Well, there's some interesting but, stuff that that uh, has happened along the way, and uh, yeah. maybe some close calls. With and also the, bumping the, into like Count I think Rugen. The, the opening scene is probably. We know what what happens in the first episode. 
So is it a movie or is it like it's ten episodes? It's ten episodes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's the leaving first. open the possibility of a season two, but maybe it's just you'll write it's it the like very end of the first episode. Actually, no, I, no, it's it's halfway through the first because everybody knows it. You got you, or maybe it's like you got everybody leave knew the Titanic was sinking too, and that was the end of a sixteen-hour movie. God, wasn't that just baffling? I was on a plane. <laughs> I was on a plane one time where they started the movie a little bit late, and it was Titanic. We landed in Vancouver, and the movie wasn't done. yet. Yet. And so people got up to get off the plane because that's what you do when it lands. And people were like, sit down, the movie's still on. And finally, someone turned around and said, the boat sinks. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think if there are 10 episodes, yeah, late in the first episode, Count Rugen shows up, kills his father, you know, scars his face. And then. Yeah, and, and then, then you fast forward. That leaves a whole episode where he's fencing left handed, though. No, I think there's like I don't know if he fences at all at this point in that first episode. No, because he's a kid. He's in the ten. Yeah, he's probably just reading books or something. He's not. He's not. He's he's playing with you know the dad's a sword maker, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's probably got a sword in his hand some of the time. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So, um, what do we think is the better sword? The sword that Inigo Montoya's father makes. Which there's none like it. Yeah, which Wesley says I've never seen its equal. No. Or the sword that Hattori Hanzo makes Ooh. for Ooh. the bride in Kill Bill, which he himself, the master sword maker, Hanzo says this is the best sword I've ever made. I think I, I think there's a little bit more weight behind the Hattori Hanzo story. I mean, well, at the end of that, you're like, I I don't know anything about anything. But, but I think this must be a good sword. <laughs> because she's done some things with this. Yeah. I think just based on the, I mean, assuming that Inigo Montoya. Montoya. Thank you. That's what, yeah. Appalachia. <laughs> I mean, assuming that that actually was Middle Ages, you have to assume that the sword making craft has developed a little bit. Over the time in between. Also, it's really made for a six-fingered man. So you know, yeah. or, or did he take the? Did he take the sword? He did take the sword for the six-fingered man. And then why has he got this other one? How does he have the other one? He's. You just watched this movie. We should be asking. Well, you this. I didn't watch this part of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm older than you, so I'm allowed to forget details. Yes. Um, yeah, I think it's Hanzo. I think the yeah. Hanzo sword is just yeah. Because also there's the there's the uh, there's the scene in I think it's Vol- Kill Bill Volume Two where Bill goes to see his brother who's living in a trailer, and um, his brother pawned the Hanzo sword that he had. That's he right. had a Hanzo sword. He pawned it, and it was just like his brother. Bill's like, you pawned a Hanzo sword? It's priceless. Like, nope. In West <laughs> Texas, it gets you three hundred bucks or whatever it is. In Philadelphia, it's worth sixty bucks. Fifty bucks. 50 Bo Diddley, <laughs> one of the great cameos. That's right. I don't know if Bo Diddley ever, other than the television commercials he did with uh, Bo Jackson. I don't know if Bo Diddley did any other camera. acting. What? Wait. No, he wasn't in the Blues Brothers. No, no. he was not. No. 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 Yeah, a lot John of other Lee, greats. John Lee Hooker was in the Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Bo Diddley was Jeff not Galloway. in Philadelphia. It's worth fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Um, tells time and gestalt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Classic movie. <laughs> Drop a lot of lines. It'll go over the heads of almost everybody. That movie holds up. That movie holds Training up. Training places hold up. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Boy, did Eddie Murphy peak early. He did. What? No. No, 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 no. Oh, like no. the first three, four, five things were amazing. But the last 20 years of his career? Eddie is, Murphy like, essentially was, had a rebirth as... Donkey, donkey, as donkey, and the you know like sort of family like family movies. Wait, 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 wait! That is insane. (laughs) That's crazy. The Mount Rushmore of Eddie Murphy all happens at the beginning. Yeah, the The, Shrek movies are garbage. The album, none of them are none of them are good. They're not funny. They're they're bad. And anything Eddie Murphy has done since like 1989. Oh, I don't know. Maybe in the 90s. The Rose was amazing. It's. You he, he Bill is right, and I hate agreeing with Bill on just like <laughs> on anything. But, he's, but this time he's right. Eddie Murphy peaked in like the late eighties. I'm not saying those early movies aren't it's the best. Trading ones. Places and Beverly Hills Cop and Raw, Coming to and, America, and Forty Eight Hours, yeah. and yeah, I mean it, it gets crowded quickly. You're yeah. going to talk about and, Shrek compared to those movies? I, I, no, I'm just, Shrek. I'm talking about his career. Just like if you're, if you're, that's the, exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> his not, career, no, not his movies. The no. career. You're talking about it as a fan of Eddie Murphy and as a fan of comedy, and rightfully you're like those are the best movies. If you're the business agent of Eddie Murphy, you are thrilled that he had a huge second act in his career. When he was doing the Nutty Professor and sh- and like doing all these family movies, and by yeah, the way, yeah, yeah, because saying- because everybody thinks that McDonald's has the best hamburger because it <laughs> sells more than any other hamburger place, Chris. I'm just saying, if you're his business manager, okay. you're pretty excited about that. So Eddie Murphy, well, we're not judging when his business manager's career peaked. That's his own Mount Rushmore. <laughs> also, Dreamgirls say- Academy say- Award nomination. Just yeah, saying. but. Insert a useful opinion. (laughs) (laughs) About something. About the rest of your music. Your music, which you've stalled at one. Miles Davis. You're sick of Miles Davis. (laughs) You've already... You already listened to everything he's had for years. I mean, if we went into your collection, and not just what you have today, but all the things that you've misplaced over the years and right. bought, and, and the it's tapes, like, what would be the most? Low what, what group would would there I be th- the most of? I think it it's would... the Dropkick Murphys, isn't it? No, <laughs> no I think I would. Um, and, and this goes back. <laughs> he loaned that to Squee. <laughs> that, this goes back to you know what Dan touched on, where you get the whole catalog. I think I would opt for. Musicians um, that have just a huge, long, prolific career. Um, so then I would have a lot of options. So Miles Davis, Sinatra, would be on the list. maybe. Sinatra might be on that list. I'm going to consider. He's on my watch list. I'm going to consider right. Sinatra. Okay. Um, although Sinatra did a lot of like. If if it's just, I would kill myself if I had to listen well, no, to Sinatra over and over. And over. Yeah, and also like Sinatra. <laughs> oh, wait a second, Sinatra. It's doing the a, same song over and over again, sung by I'm a guy saying. who just is getting progressively more drunk, like through his career. <laughs> now I'm not saying Sinatra's bad, which which makes it, by the way, the musical version of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to New York, New York, ten fifteen times a day. Keep you sane. Yeah, um, the Yankees you, fans remind you of all those Yankees wins. Um, you know. I would consider sort of something from the British Invasion. So, like, The Who, The Rolling Stones, The Beatles, somewhere in there. The Clash? 
I no, uh, I wouldn't I do the. Cla- I like they the clash, didn't do much. But I, would, I mean, uh, in terms of the volume of, of what yeah. they did, I think the Beatles probably has to be. On Stevie the Wonder's probably on that list, mm-hmm. just given everything he's done. Um, but you got to listen to all of it. Yeah. No, you don't. Uh, no, no. You get. You're you bringing get the whole catalog. Actually, you know what? You know who's probably on that? Uh, Aretha Franklin. Mm. Aretha Franklin is probably on that list. See, I'm taking James Brown with me. Like James Brown might be on that list. Yeah. Full, full stop. Yeah. Aretha, that's a good shout. What do you got? What do I got? <laughs> I decided I wasn't playing this game. I, on the basis uh, it's, that it's no just one's so interested convenient in being you. Oh, <laughs> like nothing. The Hufflepuffs. Yeah, nothing, what was it again? nothing is more Yale than you know. Barker I define I define the rules than my deciding that people were more interested in how you would answer it than how I would answer it. Yeah, because they because you're a big part of these people's lives. They listen to you. The Some dull- of them. Twice a month. <laughs> some, some of them skip the episodes when Barker is on. Exactly. Because they're, they're, they're here to listen to Chris. There, like, is oh, that. there, there are literally people that refuse to listen yeah. to episodes that I'm on. That is true. That is a fact that there are people like, just so you know, I skip those episodes. It's like, all right, that's fine. Wait, wait. And that, I think that's th- true, true? Oh, yeah, no, that's true. People because have emailed to say, love the podcast, just so you know, when Barker's on, I don't listen. <laughs> now, it's not a lot of people, but it's more than one. <laughs> it's, well, and, and it's not just email. That is not nice of Barker's mom to it's say. It's also, if, if, you look at, if you look at like the reviews of the market foolery. There will be people putting that opinion. Yeah, yeah you get name checked in, in yeah. some of the reviews. So I mean, it doesn't hurt as much when they're just sending that privately to you, although you go ahead and forward it to me. <laughs> so there's a little bit of pain involved, but it's the stuff that's available for everybody to read all the time. Is this and like the, yeah, is this like the Reverend who cancels his subscription to? You were named too recently in a recent review. Really? I mean, not as somebody people wouldn't listen to, just that when quote the bills. Referring to you and me are yeah. on, uh, like both of them are, are genetically incapable of, of delivering a podcast in less than twenty minutes. Probably true, yeah. and, and yet here we are doing an hour and a half a long one. Dan, what's the problem with the twenty minute? Po- I was going to say something else, but like, what's what's the problem with having a podcast? It's a little longer. What these people have too much, like too, too much stuff that they got to listen to. Uh, I think it was just helpful information from yeah. somebody. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it because no, it's, no. Uh, and by the way, I've I've gotten it's on it's on a five star review, and it's just like uh, <laughs> Market Foolery <laughs> reads their reviews of the podcast. <laughs> it's the reviews of the negative reviews of us. <laughs> And quote, and it's from Smooth Hughes, Smooth Hughes, who sounds like pretty cool guy, yeah, or gal, yeah, listener number sixty-three, nighttime DJ. Beware the bills, man or Barker as guests. They are pre- genetically incapable of having an episode <laughs> last less than twenty minutes. So you know, it's I, mean, they, I think that's just helpful information you know for those the, that are turning to. It is. You know what the most page. important part of that was? The five stars. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've also gotten plenty of email from people who say, who who love the podcast, who actually, amazingly, enjoy when you're on, and no. but, but go on to say, oh my god, people with personality having fun and <laughs> engaging with each other right. with a little bit of friendship. Oh, that's terrible. No, of, none of that. I just want my business <laughs> news. Give me, the, give me the tickers. Um, uh, the, no, it's people saying, I like that. But they, they go on to acknowledge, just so you know, when the podcast loads on my app, they see two things. They see the title of the episode. And the length. And the length. 
And that's what, and they're like, oh, I know if it's a, if it's a 25 minute episode. Uh, it's, oh, Barker. I, I think to myself, Barker's on this one. I gotta gotta take a little longer driving into work today. Yeah, gotta take yeah. the long route. Or yeah. you know, Barker has three questions. I hope I have, yeah, exactly. God, I hope I get stuck in traffic <laughs> so I can hear him finish a question. Um, Want to tell that story about uh, Bob Woodward and my guinea pig? Wow, it's amazing to think that someone is still a is still listening and b that they're like, oh wow, they brought it back around to the Bob Woodward. Yeah, let's talk about that because it does. It, what I like about one of the things I like about the story is that <laughs> it's the opportunity to attack te- me. teasing this story at the top. Yeah, <laughs> coming through with it at the very end. <laughs> and when we come back, yeah. it's the very end. Yeah. I thought we were going another hour. Yeah. Um, no, I slide that bottle over. One one of the things I like about the story is that it 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 shows. Just how life works for all of us, that you never know what the ripple effects of your life are going to be. And in this case, it truly is the case that your guinea pig died and it set off a chain of events leading to you contacting me and saying, my wife and I were going to go to this event tonight. My guinea pig died. I'll explain later. I need a date. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She's not coming with me. We can't you, bring the guinea pig in. Do anymore. you want to come? And I was like, yeah, I'll go to this thing. Really, it was our only date. You and me. You and me. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank well, God. It was a perfectly good first date. It was a very good first date. Uh, so, anyway, uh, we had a guinea pig, and uh, unfortunately, it took ill. And it, it seemed like uh, it was on its uh, last night, perhaps, and my wife had... Uh, you know, engagement. She had to go out, so I was on duty at home with the kids to hey, shepherd them through this. this at guinea pig hospice. This was uh, and and yes, basically, you've been there. Yes, and, and uh, the guinea pig made it through the night, and so the next night uh, we had these tickets to a, a wine tasting thing, which. Uh, were the uh, whiffle poofs going to be? There? <laughs> I, knew I just knew I was leading with my chin on that one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so she said, I, "I just I can't leave uh, the house again." The guinea pig looks like it's really you know I can't be gone a second night with uh, the trauma that this is bringing on. And and I said, "Well, I think I can go out tonight." <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I said to that great, and we tried to find. Do uh, we both uh, need to <laughs> find a couple that would take uh, these tickets? And it was. You know, a few hours before this was supposed to come up, and and so the people we tried are were all busy, and all then I lives. figured, well, Chris probably isn't busy, so <laughs> I I said, you know, you want to come drink a little wine, and and he uh, said outside, and so we we went to this thing, and uh, Bob Woodward happened to be there, so and we started talking to him about uh, stocks, and yes, so let me let me set the scene here. This is you you won the. It's a silent auction that you win. It was an auction. We like a certain number. Oh, anybody who could buy in for whatever the right. price was. So this is in someone's home in Dupont Circle, uh, Tony neighborhood in Washington yes. D.C. We go to this person's home, and uh, and you would explain to me, yeah, that there are going to be some other couples there, and so the total number of wear a coat. Probably, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is yeah. Throw a jacket on. <laughs> Maybe give it a shot. Yeah. Shoes. Try and clean up. <laughs> Did you bathe recently? So, uh, so we show up. There's maybe all told twenty people 
at this event. There are the hosts, there are the other people, the other couples who have sort of, quote-unquote, won, um, and then there's the sommelier. There's the guy who is, you know, and there are hors d'oeuvres and, you know, there's food, so the people, don't, it, so it's not just wine. It's not like this podcast where it's like, here, just drink this alcohol and there's no food. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be fine. Um, yeah. And so, because it's an event in someone's home, you know, you kind of have to up your game in terms of engaging with other people. Um, and there's only so many people to talk to. So, at some point, You've worked the room. We've worked the room, mm. and Bob Woodward has worked the room. And it was actually Bob Woodward who came over to us. <laughs> and I'm sure, in, on some level, because you recognized. Well, because you recognized. Yeah, and you guys but, look uncomfortable in coats. Yeah, <laughs> and, and on some level, I'm sure he was like, "Well, those are the only two people I haven't talked to. I'm going to go talk to them." So he comes over. We start chatting, and. Uh, and he's like, "Hi, I'm Bob." And as I recall, you and I are both like, "Yeah, yeah, we know." <laughs> yeah, we know. So we're chatting, we're chatting with him, and he's like, uh, so, "You know, so what do you guys do?" And we t- we talk about the Motley Fool. Do you remember the story he told us? Yeah. Uh, about so so um, we're like, we work at the Motley Fool, you know, stocks, you know, that sort of thing. And he and he proceeds to tell us a story um, that essentially goes like this: uh, He's working at the Washington Post. The Washington Post goes public. Warren Buffett, uh, in relatively short order, becomes one of the major shareholders mm-hmm. of the Washington Post. I think the year he said was 1974 was when this happened. It was I like think se- it was 73. Okay, 73 or 74. Um, so Barker, you what 30 then? Is that right? Barker's 30. Okay, my good. age is not relevant. To <laughs> yeah. this story. Okay, Dan Boyd is a, a good decade or so from being born. Um, so. Woodward shows up to work one day, or and and basically it's um, Buffett is coming to town for a series of meetings, uh, and Kay Graham, uh, who owns the Post, needs someone to go to breakfast with him, and asks Ben Bradley, executive editor. Yes, and Bradley, Jason Robards, Jason Robards, or more recently Tom Hanks, right? Both great in the role, and. Uh, ben Bradley says no, <laughs> and uh, not just no, yeah, not just no, but hell no. <laughs> and uh, so Bob Woodward ends up going out to breakfast with Warren Buffett, nineteen seventy, early nineteen seventies Warren Buffett, and so they're talking and all this sort of thing. And so he says to Buffett, uh, "You seem to know a lot about investing. What stock do you think I should buy?" I have a little money. I have a little money. I have a little. I have a little money. I have a little money. I'd like to buy. What do you recommend? And Buffett basically says, "You should buy the Washington Post," and lays out for Bob Woodward why he, Warren Buffett, bought shares of the Washington Post. And at that point, I think he owned like five percent or something like that. Yeah, like you know the company. It's you know you can judge how things are are going, and you know invest in what you you know and understand. Yeah, and then uh, Bob Woodward listens to all that, takes it all in, and says to Buffett. Ethically, I don't think I could do that because I work for the paper. I don't think I, I you know, as a journalist, <laughs> I would have a problem owning shares yeah. of the newspaper. Yeah. Do you have another stock you would recommend? And Buffett proceeds to talk about Berkshire Hathaway. Now, just ponder that for a second. Ponder getting in the time machine and buying shares of Berkshire Hathaway in the early 1970s. And he lays out the case for Berkshire Hathaway, and Woodward listens to it and says. Wow, that sounds great. 
But Berkshire Hathaway no, owns so the Washington, Washington Post. Post. So if I bought Berkshire Hathaway, that. I'd be buying the Washington Post. So I don't think I could do that. And like, you know, fortunately, Woodward has. Every book he's ever written is a bestseller. He's doing fine in terms of money. But he doesn't have Berkshire money. But he like, he was like he tells this story and just sort of laughs at himself like I could have bought Berkshire Hathaway in the early 1970s. Thank God he didn't just say, "Well, it looks all expensive." <laughs> I'm gonna wait for it to drop. I'm gonna wait for I'm, it. To I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna bite on the dip just a little bit. <laughs> Okay, it's up 63 times since you told me, but it's going to dip soon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is there anything else, or should we um, should we get out of here? Should we talk uh, about the sponsor? Uh, <laughs> we could talk about the sponsor, but uh, podcasts. Yes. You've been uh, paying attention to this thing, podcasts. Yes. What, do you, what do you got? Any predictions? Got any, any thoughts? Like, like, you know this industry, and I just think. We talk about it a little bit, and I learn things, and I, I imagine that people who are listening to podcasts interested in things, not just like, hey, name three great podcasts that I should be listening to. Although, if you've got that to to give, but what what do you what do you see from your vantage point? Uh, is, is this the beginning of is this is this like the golden age of podcasts where everybody can get in today, right now, and you can still get noticed, and you can still go from zero to like the biggest thing quickly, or you know, or is there some level of consolidation? Has it gotten it, well, it's certainly certainly the ads are more and more uh, discernible. You know, they're in and taking up a, a slightly bigger chunk of time. Now it's easy. I'm only listening for the most part in my car, and I can speed through the ads if I choose to do so. Uh, but you know, what do what do you what do you think is going to What's interesting that you know that you haven't talked about? Should I translate the Barker question? <laughs> Go for it. What do you got? <laughs> I started with that. In his defense, it was less than six minutes, and it was clearer than, than the other question. That's true. Um, so, I will answer that. Let me answer the first part, which is, um, I'm going to give you one podcast that I'm listening to, and it's relevant to what we're doing here today, because someone actually has taken the apropos of nothing format to the extent that there's a format which is which is basically <laughs> three people, three friends get in a room and just talk and drink. I don't know if there's drinking on this but but there is a podcast that I'm listening to right now. It started maybe 2 months ago. It is Paul F Tompkins, a stand-up comedian, uh Scott Ackerman, a uh, comedic writer, um, probably best known for comedy Bang Bang, um and Lauren Lapkus who's mm-hmm. um an actress, comedic actress, maybe best known for being on uh, Crashing, uh, the comedy on HBO. Anyway, the name of their podcast is Freedom, like freedom, but with three. And it is every week, it's apropos of nothing. It's just the the three of them are friends, they get in a room, and they talk for about an hour. And there are tangents, and there's stuff they never come back to. And I, I, like, I, I genuinely enjoy the three because of them. Because you like them. And the interaction of them. Yeah. But the first time I listened to an episode, I was like, oh my God, it's apropos of nothing. 
And we didn't even get a thank you card. But anyway, <laughs> not that we deserve one. Um, we invented the format of people talking about nothing. It wasn't Seinfeld. Damn it. God. Exactly. Um, let, me, let me distract you from that for a second while you're thinking of whatever it is that you're going to get around to, which okay. is the concept of just talking about nothing, which is sort of apropos of nothing. It's derivative of Seinfeld and other things. Uh, the first one being, and go back, and I think it's a New Yorker article, and I've told you about this, that really the groundbreaking uh, thing that started that was Diner, which, uh, for those who haven't seen it, go see it, and is a movie which is not really about anything. Uh, it's a bunch of guys talking to each other, and yeah. they're not talking to each other about much but it's just the it's just the way that guys talk, uh, at least through the Barry Levinson, you know, uh, time and and his relationships with with, with his friends. So it's and a combination of how guys talk and Get Shorty. I don't remember Get Shorty well. Get enough. Shorty's good. Wait, it's I not saw at all it, like Get Shorty. How? What are you talking about? <laughs> There's less violence. Let's less death. <laughs> But, but I was just thinking about like the dialogue when he's in the back we, of the when uh, when 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 Ray Bones is in the back of the uh, the limo uh, the limo. <laughs> I mean, but but sort of the best parts of Pulp Fiction are sort of the talk, just talking about stuff. Yeah, uh, which yeah. he took too far with uh, Jackie Brown. I yes. thought, uh, which which I was thought a would, lot of that, which yeah. was sort of realistic, and this is the way people use up their time talking and and. Uh, but Pulp Fiction was a much tighter version uh, and, and some great dialogue. What do you want to end on? I don't know. Some sort of Christmassy thing? Well, I mean, it's a good time to point out that uh, for the fourth year in a row, producer Dan Boyd is going to be conducting his annual public service to the world. To Earth. To Earth with market foolery episodes for the month of December, concluding with awesome holiday music. And Dan, who had tuned out for a while there and taken his headphones off, has put them back on because he is ready to come in what do you got and for tell it, us how it's going to be. I'm very excited. This is always one of my favorite parts of the year, is to uh, bring unique Christmas tunes. Well, not Christmas, but unique holiday tunes to people that you don't normally hear on the radio. Like We have a radio station around here in D.C. that uh, switches format around before Thanksgiving to all Christmas music all the time, and it's the same 50 songs it's over horrific. and over and over. It's how and and here's the thing. And it starts as soon as we finish. Yeah. I mean, like the first song of the season yeah. is is gonna yeah. is the outro for this. So the more you talk, like the longer the people you who are, are thirsting, keeping for people from yeah. this great yeah. great stuff. I will just say though, Dan's absolutely right about the same fifty songs. Yeah. Let's be clear though, some of them are great. Like there there are some that it's like, yep, that's a classic. I love that. Some of them are awful. Mainly, what we're objecting to is the limit, the cap. It's like, no, we just got to play these fifty. There's like, so many good songs. These are the crowd so pleasers. out of let's say you got four weeks between now and Christmas, so you got twenty shows ish, whatever. Uh, how many of those slots go to a song that we know, but is a version that is not known? Oh, most of them. Most of them. Yeah. Okay. Different uh, different bands or artists take. On on popular. Songs. Are you going to give us the uh, Sigur Russ uh, Christmas D song? Dan Dan was. I, I, I will now. Sure, I'll do it. Maybe at the end of this show. <laughs> it's Icelandic. Um, Dan was the one who hit me to the <laughs> to the fact that 
I, I did not realize this. Twisted Sister. No, that was Bro Camp. Last no, year. no, no, no. But, oh, but Dan, well, Dan, knew. Told, Dan knew. Dan knew. Dan knew. They bro, bro, did bro a camp. whole album. I didn't know. Like Dan was the one who told. I like Brokamp brought it up, okay. but I knew from Dan that Twisted Sister did a whole album of Christmas Jones. Go back and listen. to Their the, version of "O Come All You Faithful" is, is right on. Is really, really good. It's yeah. really good. Yeah. All right, we should probably run. <laughs> We're out of alcohol. Let me just say one more thing. Yeah. Little Drummer Boy is the worst song ever written. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to go the with worst, that. Ooh. The worst Christmas song ever written, or go, just the just worst, worst song? song? It's a terrible song. It should never be played. In a yeah, world of, good. in a world where Nickelback exists, that is a bold statement. They give Nickelback, they give Rebecca Black's Friday <sighs> oh. a run for its oh. money. With oh, and he's found boy. his hill. Oh he's no, you found didn't. his hill. <laughs> It came at the end of the show, but Dan Boyd on the smallest hill he's willing to die on. Uh, rumpa pum pum. All right. all right. Merry Christmas to all. And to all a good night. The season's upon us. It's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog. There's plenty of cheer. There's lights on the trees and there's wreaths to be hung. There's mischief and mayhem and songs to be sung. There's bells and Beneath fresh mistletoe Some families are messed up While others are fine If you think yours is crazy Well, you should see mine My sister's Snowballs. I'd like to take them out back and deck them more than the halls. With family like this, I would have to confess I'd be better off lonely, distraught, and depressed. The season's upon us, it's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog, there's plenty of cheer. There's lights on the trees and there's wreaths to be hung. There's mischief and Schultz.